expectations, party investors. Can I interest you in some stock in a movie review podcast or two capital stars? How can I monetize this? I'm Mitch. I'm Max. And today we are looking at the cracking motion pictures, There Will Be Blood, and Kills of the Flower Moon. Hello, Max. Hello. I, I'm all oiled up. Are you all oiled up? So, I'm so greasy. I'm so greasy so, today. So greasy, film. so oily. This week's film. We're, we're really the himbos of film this week because we're hot, we're sexy, we're dumb, and we're oiled up to get in on these oily films. So, so oily. Oily. So bad for your pores. Uh, just all around slick is the word I would use. Slick. Today... We're talking about oil, and there will be blood and kills of the final moon. Uh, spoiler alert for both films, and I think we should jump right in because I've waffled on too much as is. There will be blood, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, known amongst his friends as PTA. So we'll call him Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, released in 2007, it stars Daniel Day-Lewis, Paul Dano, Kieran Hins, and Dylan Frazier. Max, what is There Will Be Blood about? There Will Be Blood is about a really grumpy man. That, that's it. And, and Daniel Day-Lewis. The joke is Paul Dano. The joke is that the grumpy man's Paul Dano. Yeah. That, no, was, that was the yeah. joke. Ha ha ha. He's not that grumpy until, like, the end, right? He's, like, the worst person. A capitalist. But, like, excessively so. He's, like, the worst version of a capitalist you can, you can ever come across. A venture capitalist. So he, um, he finds oil out in the middle of nowhere. Well, he, he doesn't find oil. He gets told about oil. No, I'm talking about the very style of the film. Uh, when he breaks his leg. Yeah. It's pretty epic. I mean, he's just like in the... You haven't really given a summary yet of the film. <laughs> haven't I? I, I no. really Okay. So, so Daniel Day-Lewis plays grumpy a grumpy man. old man. Grumpy man. Who gets all over the force of the film. Pun. He's called Daniel in the film as well. He's called like Daniel, Daniel in the film. So Daniel, Daniel plays Pink. Daniel in the film. And yeah. he um as we as we are talking about, uh discovers oil in the American continent somewhere. Probably um, even North America. I I think I think it's meant to be like Texas. Well like California. Oh no, he goes to California. He goes to California. He starts yeah. in a desert. California is also a desert. Yeah, I know, but it felt more. It could be Texas. Oh, the desert. It's unimportant where it really is. Um. Anyway, he's there, and then he like builds a fortune around mining oil. Um. He in a scene that it's really easy to miss at the start of the film. He um one of the people working on one of his mines who has a infant child there as well. Don't bring a kids to work because when you die on the job they get abducted by your boss apparently uh, I thought the assumption was that there was no one else to take the kid and Daniel Day-Lewis took him I mean yes but why was the kid at the oil oil mine I mean obviously he had no he didn't have a babysitter but regardless uh, Daniel 
uh, raises this kid and becomes a um, investor in uh, oil mining sites um, until one day he gets informed by a kid named Paul. Paul. Paul played by Paul Daner. <laughs> Fuck, did you reckon Paul Thomas Anderson wrote this and was just like, all right, we got a guy called Daniel. Find me an actor called Daniel. We got a guy called Paul. Find me a guy called Paul. The character Paul is literally only in it for one scene, though. Yeah, it's like, mostly Eli from that point onwards. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, it's all Eli, actually, from that point onwards. Uh, so, um, Paul tells Daniel about his family home in the Californian desert that has oil seeping out of the ground, um, and he... Um, Daniel, that is, uh, moves to California to basically buy up all this property and set up an oil mine. And Which he does. We spend a lot of the movie watching him do that and the politics of that and the doing the mine and doing the yeah. oil. Like the degradation of him as a person. Yeah. Suffering the consequences of, of bad OH&S practices. A lot of people really just, like, get screwed over by poor... The, yeah, OHNS yeah. guidelines. I guess they couldn't really unionize back then. They didn't know what unions were. It was only the nineteen tens. This is absolutely untrue. It was a jest. I think this movie is kind of decent. It's decent. I like it, but I don't love it the way that a lot of people do. Mm. So Paul, PTA. Sorry, I'm not friends with them. Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, yeah, the Parent Teachers Association. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they don't make films that I like. Sorry, the Parent Teachers Association. But also, Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't make films I like either. He is... I'm sure most people are familiar with him, but for those who aren't, he's basically a step below Quentin Tarantino in like the alter thing, but still also pretty famous. He's not like Monsco says you're Quentin Tarantino famous, but he's pretty well known. You might have to be like a bit more into the cinephile circle to really get it but in all he's pretty like he's pretty normal like not normal he's pretty uh, uh mainstream is what i'd say which is like not a bad thing at all like good on him um uh i've seen a lot of these films i think about six or five and i've liked one and it was there will be blood uh the rest of them i have not enjoyed i don't know why uh, the last one I saw of his was um, Licorice Pizza, which was probably my most boring experience in a cinema. I just didn't get it. I think it's the issue. I, I don't get his films. I don't understand what he's trying to say ever. I don't get the point of what he's trying to make. I think, you know, there are some, sometimes there's artists that you don't believe that they're bad. You just don't think they're for you. Hmm. That's him for me. That's Paul Thomas Edison. He's just a director that I don't think's for me. And I think I never will get him. And I never, and, and I, that's fine. But this is actually decent. This is probably my favorite one of his. So what, what about you though, Max? Um, Yeah, I don't know. I struggled a bit with this film. I feel like it's, yeah, it's definitely trying to say something. And it's trying to say something about like, capitalism versus faith it's trying to say something about um like 
the corporate corporate America. It's trying to say something about, um, you know, society. But I don't know. I think ultimately I found a lot of the film to be slow paced enough for me to get distracted by little things. And this is, this isn't like, normally I'm reasonably okay with this sort of thing. Um, but like, I wasn't watching it in the best viewing environment. I'm not going to lie. Um, what was the viewing environment? You uh, the viewing environment in? was in my bed while eating takeaway pizza. Was it good um, takeaway pizza? Uh, it was like fine. Don't give a shout out to where you got it from. Or? Uh, I don't actually know. <laughs> was it just off your um, my, par- my partner ordered it. So, oh, okay. What what type of what flavor pizzas? Like what what toppings? Pancetta and red onion and potato. Was it oily? Actually, like, it wasn't. No? Which was which was pretty ah. impressive. No, you want oil. You no, want no, oil no, 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 because that sort of stuff it gets you oily. Anyway, um, I just feel like there there was a, there was enough with this film where I went like I don't understand enough about this to care, and. <laughs> Like I know that sounds really stupid. I know that sounds really stupid. No, but it's like, no, no. It makes sense. It makes I, sense. It's just it's like funny. there's a whole the whole movie revolves around oil mining, and I just yes. got I personally just got so hung up on the fact that I don't know how oil mining works. Like well, they, they shove it. the stick into the ground. Yeah. So they keep and then it going. goes, and then it explodes. But then how do they catch it? <laughs> All right, I don't know enough enough <laughs> to be able to explain that to you, but like, I assume what happens is they they get, they hit the point where the oil actually is, and they break through, and it, it pressurizes or something, and it blows up for for a very long time, or something. But then, but then it goes on fire. I think that was by accident. No, because right? there were other ones that were on fire, and they looked like they were intentionally on fire. Maybe I'm in the same boat as you. Maybe I don't know so, much enough about. So I, I, I spent a lot of this movie just being really confused about oil mining. Like, I'm, I'm th- this is not conducive to a, like uh, a, a, an ex- viewing experience where you want to like go like mm, I'm really thinking about the the uh, dichotomy the between um, like faith and capitalism and ideology and how this is representative of modern corporate America and that sort of stuff. Cause like, I don't know, there, there is a reasonably easy reading of this film as, um, Daniel is, um, obviously a very bad person. He does lots of things that are either like, uh, like at the lowest end, like selfish and at the highest end, like, Criminal, like evil, and criminal. <laughs> um, I, I, my favorite actions in the films that he takes quite often is um, the slapping mm. that often is dealt out just to everyone he basically comes across. There's like a good about thirty percent chance you're going to get slapped if you meet him, even just at the wrong time. He'll just do it. He doesn't care. But yeah, it's. Obviously, just a film kind of about how the corruption of the self in the pursuit for more and more money, and and I guess like 
it's about it's about drive. It's about power. We stay hungry. We no, uh, it is about drive. Like it's about uh, yeah. Maybe I don't know. The toxic side of drive, like how drive can can eventually. There's a point where drive is H- hustle can only go so far. Or you should only hustle so far because then you can over hustle. Don't hustle you- over the edge. Hustle, cause I'm close to the edge. And then you, 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 you abandon your boy. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. Okay, so like, did you know any of the memes going into this movie? Um, did you know the, the meme, like the meme parts? No, not not like explicitly as I. It's from this film. Them from this film, but then like yeah, yeah that bit where he's so, yeah. like in the in the church. I've abandoned my boy. I've abandoned my boy. Like, it's like know. in every single best acting compilation ever, and it's just it's like ten old white dudes screaming, and it's always that one's maybe third or fourth or something like that. I don't know. I mean, there's also like I drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake i drink it up <laughs> make slurping noises or whatever but those are two like iconic scenes that i so i'd seen i had actually seen this movie 50 percent before so what happened was back in 2015 uh when i was first getting into films i was shown this uh by the friend who got me into movies but it hit about I'd say 75% of the way through the film. So before the time jump and before, you know, uh, like the proper ending and all that, we both were like, ah, this is like, we're kind of getting restless because I think we watched like three movies beforehand as well. We watched a lot of movies in a row. And And this isn't a short movie either. No, it's two and a half half hours. hours. So it was about probably three in the morning at this point in time when we were doing this. And so we hit three in the morning. We're both like, "Oh, we're getting kind of bored. Let's do what you know, fifteen-year-old boys do, and just go outside and walk around parks and shit at three a.m. in the morning." And which is what we did. And then we, you know, talked about our feelings and and shit like that. Whatever we talked about, you know, we're fifteen. Um, so that's my last experience of watching this film. So I'd never actually seen it all the way through. So I, I hadn't seen. I'd seen the I've abandoned my child scene, but I hadn't seen the oh, I drink your milkshake scene. Yeah. Uh, so that I was kind of waiting for that. That was really what I was watching this movie for. I mean, obviously I was watching it for the podcast, but what I was emotionally and uh, personally watching it for was the, uh, I, the, I can say I, I watched the scene where he says, I drink your milkshake. Um, was it worth it? Uh, maybe? I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, once again, it just comes down to the fact that the film that's all about character study just doesn't do it for me. Um, and I'm just shocked it didn't do it for you, really, um, is, is, what I'm, is what I'm coming I, at here. I guess, I guess, like, for me, it's, it, it doesn't feel like a character study. Um, Interesting. I, I know technically it is, and technically, like, we're just spending the one time with one character, and we're, you, you know, that, that's, that's um, how, like, you know, a character study works. Um, but it felt very obvious to me that like this is meant to be representative of something else. Mm. Um, and in the, as much as it was like, Oh, this is a character study. It's really a like matter commentary on, you know, issues. Um, 
and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just a little bit of like mm, cynicism or the, like the amount of this kind of criticism that is like in my sort of like sphere of interaction where a movie about, Oh, well, capitalism is bad and faith in capitalism can't coexist. And, um, also, faith is bad. Also, God. like faith, faith is bad. I guess it's like the, I think um, the real issue is that the movie. I mean, I think the real issue is that the movie doesn't really say these things are bad. It kind of says too much of these things is bad. Too much of the good thing is bad. It's like it, it 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 does, but I think it also like it doesn't. I don't think uh, like. But like a movie enough. necessarily needs to say, or a story definitely needs to say, like this is the hardline stance that we're taking, and and it often is enough for a movie to go, well, have a think about this issue. I just feel like it did that, and I went, yeah, but I've already thought about this. This is not exactly. like a novel idea, um, yeah. and it's not approaching it in a way that is interesting for me. So when the actual subject matter of the film, like. Uh, you know, bears no relation to anything that I I can relate to in my life. Like I don't, I don't, I don't do oil mining. I don't live in the, I guess, early nineteen hundreds in America. Because like obviously, like, obviously, capitalism films have been made since this. Do you reckon if you'd watched it in two thousand and seven, not being a seven year old, maybe being if we were born earlier and we watched it at our age, would you have enjoyed this more? Because this would be kind of maybe a more new thing. I, I, th- I, think many- there's, I think there's definitely like potential for that. I think uh, like, again, I don't know whether there's been a big social shift or at least a big shift in my sphere, or even if the, like the way that, or the people that I interact with, especially like the people I interact with online are sort of like critical of, that sort of thing and whether that that's only been the case since like a particular time or whether like my personal experience just doesn't relate to the message that this movie wants to talk about or Hmm. um something else but I, i i think there is a possibility that that um this movie when seen in cinema and I, I, I again like I'm watch I watched it in a not a particularly great um environment. Um what was the but, screen you were watching it on? Really it's a, like a Kogan TV and the speakers were terrible. Tinny? It was so tinny. Um <laughs> and yeah, but I, I, I think it's a possibility, but I, I couldn't say it for certain. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think I know for a fact I actually enjoyed this movie a lot more in 2015 than I did this time. When the, the past I watched that is back then, obviously it was just my attention that led to not finishing it. It wasn't so much a lack of actual interest in the film. Mm. And I, because I was watching it, I was going, oh, I'm actually excited to watch a film from Paul Thomas Anderson that I believe I enjoy. And then watching, I was going, no, I'm, I'm hitting the same block that I've hit with a bunch of other films of this ilk where it's just not really grabbing me and I'm not interested. I can appreciate the craft. Like it looks really good. And the, obviously Daniel Day Lewis is a great actor and Paul Dinger does a brilliant job of managing to keep up with one of the greatest actors of all time, you know, Paul Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, but 
what I'm actually watching is just a really abusive dude be a piece of shit for two and a half hours. And mm. and I, I, I don't know. I don't want to watch that. Yeah. I, I think that that's what, what it boils down to, right? Is like the character that you follow is an awful, awful guy. And, um, I just don't have like, and I know this is going to sound completely contradictory to what we talk about next, but, uh, to have a character that is solely like just an awful person is not something that I particularly enjoy watching anymore. Mm. Um, I think there probably was a point in my life where I went, I would have sat down and enjoyed watching someone be a piece of shit and like suffer the consequences of that. And then also not really. Um, but um i think i'm sort of at the point where like i don't need to see that i don't i'm not going to get anything out of that and i guess it's interesting for me because this is the first paul thomas anderson film um i've watched i've been recommended many of his films yeah you would have been um not by me but by others probably (laughs) um and from the sounds of things, I think there will be other movies of his that I will enjoy more than this. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, for me, this movie just, it, it didn't, it didn't hit the mark that it needed to for me. And um, I think it's a combination of just the subject matter feels stale and the characters are dickhead and I don't care about him. Uh, That's fair. I was, cause I think just quickly to talk about, what I think you're going to mention in the next film, you're going to talk about how like Leonardo DiCaprio is a piece of shit and we follow him around as well. Mm. But I assume what the difference is, what I found the difference is between Kills of the Flower Moon and There Will Be Blood is that, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is a piece of shit, but there is like a level of redeemability to him in that he has, he has like a couple of qualities. Not He's not redeemable. That's, that's the wrong word. He's got qualities that are, yeah, he, he he's a likable character, and that that's I think yeah. the key difference is like they give him um, aspects to his character yeah. that make him sympathetic. And you're um, also really following Lily Gladstone around, and she's a character that you're more than willing to like and enjoy because she's actually like a good person. So you're given because like the one good person in the film for there will be blood, I guess, would be the son, and he's not a strong enough personality in the film to really act as a uh well he doesn't he doesn't really talk for the first half of the film then, no, then he, he goes deaf and never goes talks again he doesn't much. talk for the rest of the film yeah um and he's not even in a whole chunk of the film because like he's off good in some boarding school. He gets sent, exactly yeah um so yeah the the character that you're meant to be most sympathetic for um is not there is not there um yeah. and then i don't know even like eli you're meant little, to like Eli, right? I don't think you're meant to like Eli, but I also think, yeah. like, in a way, he's almost more likable than he's still more likable than um, Daniel. Um, I don't know. I feel like Eli is actually less likable to me. But that's maybe just a point of preference more than anything else. Because it's I like Paul Dano as an actor, uh, but. 
whenever there's a character who uses religion as a way to manipulate people and as like a crutch and that type of thing that that's something that really really irritates me and obviously like whenever usually it's done it's meant to irritate you but it it really gets my guard so i found him a more hateable character because just that one thing is something i dislike a lot more than one thing what david lewis does which sure my priorities might be messed up on that one no, but I, just I, I don't know because like my, I, I sort of have the opposite where i'm like well um yes obviously like religious fanaticism not great don't do it but at the end of the day the people who were there with the exception of daniel are people who want to be there they're not um uh forced by any means um whereas mm. almost in a way um daniel um forces the lifestyle of oil among upon the people of of um this town and um as as a result of his interests um but yeah i don't i don't know whether that makes him more or less likable i think that's just more of a i think that's honestly personal preference at that point mm. i guess it actually that creates a good because a good uh, dichotomy between people who view this film could be people who view Paul Dano as the less likable character or people who view Daniel Day-Lewis as the less likable character. Because obviously, I think obviously you're not meant to like both and you're meant to kind of dislike both of them and see them both as terrible people coming up against each other. But yeah, I think the real thing that actually cinches why I don't like Eli that much is because he beats his dad. And as I've mentioned before, sad dads are my weakness. So... Like obviously not the most saddest of dad, but also I, it's just it makes you really unhappy yeah. to see a son beat his father like that. Yeah, he's just a simple farmer, and he yeah. really doesn't understand business, and he's getting told like, off yeah. by his son for there's a bad business deal. There's so many people in. There's so many people in this film that are just like awful, awful people. Yeah, and I don't know. That's just not enjoyable viewing experience to me. No, definitely not. It's not fun. It's not a fun film and it's a slog because it's what only an hour shorter than kills of the flower moon, which is three and a half hours. So it's a long movie. I should have added that the theme, the theme is not just oil. It's long films about oil. Long, long films about, long films about oil. Anyway, I don't know how much, do you have much more to say or? No, not really. I was going to say, do you want to do scores? I would love to do scores. All right. I'm giving this film three gulps and a slurp as I drink your milkshake while you're in the toilet. I drink your milkshake. Wait, why, is he, why are you in the toilet? No, so you've gone to the toilet and left your milkshake at the right, table, okay. and I'm drinking gotcha. it while you're gone. I, was, I, I thought you're like, I have my milkshake in the toilet, no, and you're drinking no, 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 it. No, sorry. Like, I do realize the sentence doesn't make sense. No, no, no. What happened is you've left your, like, we're at the diner, you've gone off to the toilet, and I'm drinking your milkshake while you're gone to the right, toilet. Right, okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I that, that makes, was that yeah. it was a confusing set. Well, it is actually kind of funny to imagine me stealing your milkshake and running into the toilet so you can't get Well, I me. sort of thought like I imagined it as like I'm in the toilet and I also have a milkshake and then and you're drinking it. you're my drinking slot, the milkshake in my, my, my like, straw is like, like a muppet like a muppet comes up from underneath the stall up and into the cup and, and you you're just like too dumbfounded to do anything. You hear like a <laughs> Yeah. Actually, it was three gulps in a slurp. Gulp, gulp, gulp. Like that. Yeah. Perfect. 
Yeah. Um, you glad we're an audio medium. <laughs> um, I gave you <laughs> I gave the old people on uh, two OHNS safety violations out of five. Damn. Okay, so you really didn't like it. I didn't like this film. Oh, because I, I yeah no I mean I got that but I didn't get that you know what I mean like I yeah it shocked me that you didn't like this film. I'm surprised I liked it more. Is I guess what mm. <laughs> is surprising to me. Yeah. yeah. No, it was just like I didn't find the characters likable. I didn't. I was distracted by it, like inane elements of the film and um. That's fair. The, um, like it's long and and tedious. What would you rate the pizza you ate though? Uh, that was like maybe a two and a half. It was fine. Like two pepperonis and an anchovy. Yeah, but I wouldn't do pepperoni and anchovy. I'd do like dude, that's sick. Two pepperonis and like a fiorda latte. A what? It's like fancy cheese. <sighs> Just use mozzarella, man. You exhaust me. Uh, <laughs> round up, round up. It is time for Max and Mitch's mini media. My mini media this week is uh, something I was uh, listening to today. I'm going to recommend, um, uh, well, sort of recommend. I'm going to talk about another podcast. Oh, you can't uh, do that. That's our competition. No, you it's not a competition. I promise you. Okay. Um, because I I know for a fact that anyone who listens to a podcast does not only listen to one podcast. Uh, my mum might. <laughs> I, I think no, I think we'll be safe. Actually. I think no, we'll be safe doubles. because the podcast um I have been listening to um sort of on and off has been uh braving the elements an avatar podcast, which uh uh for those who are unfamiliar is the official avatar the last airbender um podcast hosted by uh janet varney and dante bosco who both voiced characters in um avatar the last airbender and the legend of cora so janet varney voiced cora um and dante bosco voiced zuko and then general iroh in legend of cora Yeah. Um, But Janet Varney got her start in podcasting before she moved to voice acting um, as well. So um, it's an interesting dynamic because it's – there's obviously a level of, like, fakeness to it all. It's, like, Um, kind of scripted. It it feels kind of scripted in a sort of – everyone's super happy about everything all the time, except for the sad moments and everyone's super sad. It's like, there's, there's, it feels like it's a less like as, um, sort of improvised as, as you'd sort of hope it to be. If it was a fan podcast rather than like an official one, I don't know how many like official tie-in podcast sort of things you've listened to. Well, so, um, so I was going to ask, like, is it kind of like, um, like it goes, gets seen, like what they're going to talk about is seen by an executive beforehand or something. Yeah, it, it, it feels a bit like that. Um, and it almost feels like they know that it's going to be like that, so they talk in a particular way. Um, right. But that said, um, Dante Bosco is very funny, um, and I don't know if you've seen him talk at um, like videos from uh, cons and stuff, but I haven't uh, actually. He's uh, 
very interesting, very funny guy. And basically the show is a combination of them talking about um, each episode, like scene by scene, which, you know, I listen to those types of podcasts, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and interviewing um, creatives and actors who worked on the series or worked on the two series. Um, the I'm sort of like near the start of it. I haven't really got that far in, but um, they do a two-part interview with um, the creators of the show. Um, All three or just the two of them? Just the two. Not the right, not the right. I know your thing about the the one who's actually like kept the quality in check. Um. Anyway, uh, it's uh, a to, yeah, to make that make sense. There's a there's a third creative from the there's three people who are heavily involved in like the creation and 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 you know development of the first Avatar: the Last Eminence series, and then one of them wasn't involved in Korra and. Cora sucks ass. So Mitch I doesn't believe like Cora. It's not good. It's a bad I, show. I think you're wrong. But anyway. I think you're wrong. <laughs> so there. <laughs> um, no, there's an interview with- We both with, agree um, Avatar Lost Emma is good though. We both agree on that um, one. Yeah. There's an interview with um, Michael Dante DiMartino and um, Brian Konetsko. Um, there's an interview with one of the creative producers. There's an interview with- um, um, blanking on the name, I think it's Jenny Kwan who voiced Suki. Oh, damn it! Um, just guessing. Um, and it's like listening to those interviews is really interesting about the development of the show as something that I really enjoyed watching when I grown up and still enjoy very much. So it's sort of like a little guilty pleasure listening experience for me because I know some of it is not very good. And but I'll do it anyway. That's fine. You can. What if you enjoy it? Then you enjoy it. I mean, that's how I see. I feel like anyone who listens to Blockbuster, it's their guilty pleasure, or they have to because they're related to us. Yeah. Um. I was going to ask, like, how far into the show are they? Um. It's it's been like I think I'm like eight or ten episodes in. Like I'm still quite near the start, but um. They've basically been alternating between interview episodes and, um, like story episodes. Yeah. So they've only just just done um the Kyoshi Warriors, so which is like the also are you third up to date, episode basically? or fourth episode of the show. Are you up to date? No. You're not up to date. No, I'm not up to date. Oh, so where are they up to then? Oh. God knows. I have no idea. And I can't check. They They're way ahead. I'm okay. like so far behind. It's not funny. Okay. So, uh, I, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> like, you reckon, you reckon um, they'd go to um, Cora afterwards? I have a feeling like that, they that'd would. That'd be logical, because, right? Yeah, yeah. So, they like go and rewatch it and they um, uh, like talk about the, like they literally talk about it frame by frame, for, well, not frame by frame, but like scene by scene. Um, yeah. Let me have a look. Podcasts going on. I'm on on the spots. Um, that's what I'm calling Spotify. Um, the spots. Body is a podcast. Spot is Spotify. Um, can you spot the Australian? I mean, Spotify the Australian. Sorry. Um, 
then the last one they talked about was um, they did a, I think it turned into more of an interview format. So they've got um, an interview with Eric Coleman, um, uh, um, interview with uh, like other actors and other fans of the series and things like that. Um, and it, it, yeah, it definitely becomes more of a like interview format, which is better than the two of them just talking stuff. But no, it is fun and it's fun for me and I'm enjoying it. So that's awesome. That's my that's my mini media. Uh, so this week, a certain thing was released uh, a couple of days ago. Wait, can For I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Is, it a, is it a game? Yeah, it is a game. Okay. Now I know there were two games that were released on the same day. I think it's now, pretty I know which one, which one it is, but I can't remember yeah. which the other one is, but I was going to say it's a joke and it was going to be funny for me. Starts with an M. Not the one I picked, the one that you would be with joke. That's the other one. M-A. Mario Brothers Wonder. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm guessing that you have been playing uh, the newly released uh, Spider-Man Drumroll. 2. Oh, dang it. Yeah, uh, Spider-Man 2. Yeah, I've been playing that, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Instead, I'm going to talk about um, an interpretive dance I saw on Sunday. What, what? Since when do you go to all of these like live performance things? This is so unlike it's, you. It's really weird. It was it's weird that this happened two times in a row. So I'm going to talk about Spider Man next week, and I have a lot okay. to say about Spider Man, but I'm saving that for content so that I don't have to worry about mini media next week. So I'm going to talk about me, the interview. Like scrape something. Like well, that's the thing. Is, so I don't know how busy is, I am going to be this week, sir. So. I don't know how busy I'm going to be this week, so I don't know what I'm going to find. But so I got Spider Man in the bag now. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I saw an interpretive dance. It was an interpretational dance of, uh, T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland. I don't know if you've read it. Um, I probably have. And it's like 60 pages. I probably, oh no, I think I've read some of it. I think mm. I genuinely think I've read some of it. Um, I read none of it ever in my life, at least not knowing. Is it like me. the, like it's the, the. One where it's all like the city and it's old and destroyed and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read it. Because <laughs> the interpretive dance, believe it or not, an interpretive dance is not a, a particularly easy way to be first introduced to a piece of work because it's an interpretation and it's a dance. And the only thing they said all dance were screams, which don't actually count as words. They just count as loud noises. Screams that made my the the three other people I was when I saw this with look at each other in the dark and just kind of glance at each other and then look back. So this was at Monash University, um, and, this was, and they were part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival, which I think ended on that Sunday. Um, I, th- I believe, or it's still maybe going, and it's nearly done. It, it ends end of the October. Uh, and so, yeah, so, um, I don't think interpretive dances are for me unless I maybe know the medium, but I just didn't get it. And that's because I hadn't read the thing, but I, cause I talked to the person who did the music afterwards and the music was actually really good. Or she was, she did part of the music. Uh, there was like two people who worked on the music and so she, she was half of them, half of the people. Uh, and so I talked to her about it and. Music was actually really good. So I was like, great music. You did a good job, blah, blah, blah. 
because I knew her through a friend who was the one who said we should go do this. And she's like, thank you. And what do you think of the interpreted dance? And I was like, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. He's like, what did you get from him? I'm like, yeah, definitely a land of waste. Let me tell you. <laughs> she's like, yeah, but like, you know, every time I watch it, I get something new. Like there's, you know, a, a, the part where like this person dies. And I'm like, yeah, feminism. Like someone died. Oh. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's what I got from it too. Feminism, yeah, because I noticed that they died. And then she's like, yeah, and there's like the part where they die from fire, the part where they die from water, from air, from earth. And I was like, I didn't realize Avatar was in this. You uh, should have got someone with a bald head and an arrow to come out to really show me that because I missed it. Yeah, pretty much I just missed everything that the thing was saying. Um, that I said they screamed at one point and I don't know why uh, at one point someone was wearing tap shoes and the rest of the time they had no shoes on that's cool I love, I love a little bit of tap uh, they barely tapped someone else did better tap than they did I don't think they were the strongest dancer to be honest but the rest of the dancers were pretty good and they were actually decent as well I mean obviously they were better than me because I can't dance but as a general rule, they were pretty good dancers, but I just had no clue what was going on. And I like to know what's going on in my media, in my my mini media, as it were. But yeah, so look, it might be someone else's cup of tea, but I ain't drinking it because someone else's. It's not mine. I won't drink. I don't drink other people's cup of tea. It usually has sugar in it, and I don't like sugar in my tea. I don't know why people put sugar in their tea. Do you put sugar in your tea? No, I don't. I drink black tea, yeah. like not yeah, black, like not just black tea, but like it would be black tea. Not yeah, but I drink green tea too. Oh, like green tea and then like herbal tea and stuff. But like yeah, yeah. but like not no milk, no sugar. I put Only a little tea. milk in sometimes. I put a dash of milk depending on the tea. I wouldn't put it into like a green tea, but I'd put it into like a like a English breakfast. What are we doing? Oh, okay. Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> the podcast, Mitchell. We're doing the podcast. Max, I'm ready. I'm ready. Did you make tea? I did. I made tea. What tea did you make? I made Melbourne breakfast. Oh, I made English breakfast. So it's got less carbon miles. What does? Oh, bit. Oh, sorry, I didn't, get, I didn't get the joke. I didn't get it. Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese, known to his friends as M Dog Millionaire, hence we will call him M Dog Millionaire, and released in 2023. It stars Lily Gladstone, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Tantu Cardinal, Jesse Plemons, and I'm gonna say a couple more names here just because I want to. It's, uh, it also stars Brendan Fraser and John Lithgow, who are only at the end, but they're important enough to me to name them as in this top part. It was so weird seeing them in this film because it's like, oh, they're here. Oh, well, okay. John, Lith- John Lithgow is kind of like properly seated in, but Brendan Fraser just immediately it's yells so as, soon as, he's, as soon as he's in frame. <laughs> like, oh. It's- Oh, that's Brendan Fraser. Oh, that's Brendan Fraser. It hit the the two and a half or two hour 45 mark. And I was like, isn't Brendan Fraser in this film? (laughs) And then, yeah, he he is indeed in this film. Uh, But Max, Max, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. 
can you spot the wolves in this picture? Also, what were the wolves doing in this picture? Max, tell me what this movie's about. <laughs> so, Perfect joke. Kill, kill Us on the Flower Moon is uh, Martin Scorsese's three and a half hour epic, um, which details the chronicles of a family. Um, but before I get into that, let me let me give a little bit of setup because I did have to explain this to someone the other day, and it got very confusing very quickly. Was it your mom? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, mom. Um, we really do her dirty on this podcast. Your poor mom. So, Killers of Flower Moon is set in Osage Country, um, which is a um, at the time, a reservation on um, in the United States of America. So, um, what that meant is, um, rather than being privately owned land, it was federal land, which was controlled by um, First Nations people there to uh, the Osage uh, tribe. And Excellent. it turned out they were sitting on top of a lot of oil. Um, Hence, this week's theme. Um, yeah, I was going to make that joke. It wasn't really a joke, was it? It's just a... Never mind. Uh, the observation? I'll die off screen. It's fine. Um, off sound? Whatever. And um, a lot of the Osage um, people became very wealthy from selling um, rights to mine the oil um, in the reservation to private business. Um, and so we start the movie just before that happens. And then we skip ahead slightly. To way um, after that happened. <laughs> to when, after everybody is wealthy and there's like a weird newsreel thing. Most of the story revolves around this family. So um, we are introduced to the main character that we follow, which is Leonardo DiCaprio. Ernest. Le- I know, I know, it's it's Liam played by Neil, like Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Ernest Burkhart. Um, Ernest, um, who um has just come home from World War One, where he was a cook, which I just found such an interesting throwaway line. But um, anyway, he goes he and lives with. Again. No, he doesn't. Um, Wasn't he goes like and- a setup or anything. Just was he's just a cook. He's just a cook. Um, he goes and lives with his uncle, who is a cattle farmer. Also, we thought um, his they- last name's Hale, which is the same as mine, and it's spelled the same as well. So that wasn't rough at all. Going to the film, people were saying Hale. I mean, like what? Oh, not me. I could hear that um, it was spelled the same way. If it was spelled H I I L, I would have been fine. But the the majority of the film is um, the integration of Leonardo DiCaprio's character Ernest into the life of Molly Burkhardt. That's when she's married. I don't know what she is before she was married. Should have done your research. Um. Anyway, he integrates um into her life, and by that I mean he marries her. Um, but it's actually all part of a malicious plan to get at their vast amounts of oil money. And but they also do he so. I well, I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> um 
And most of the film we spend um, looking at Ernest, um, his uncle played by uh, Robert De Niro and um, his brother working together to um, selectively murder members of this family so that they can funnel their money into um, their own pockets. And um, this continues until um, they get found out by the FBI. Which happens at about maybe the two and a half hour mark, maybe even further than that. It, so, it feels like it's the end of the film, but it, it there is like an hour of it afterwards. This is a really long film. I want to, before we talk about the length, I want to talk about what's possibly the most divisive part of this whole film. And so I'm going to ask, we're going to start at the end, basically. Max, what did you think of that ending? The, the like, sort the, of... The play. The, sorry, the, 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 the radio play. The radio... I really liked it. Okay, because it's, it, that's, like, 50% of people really like it, and 50% really don't like it. It's, like, it's a very polarizing ending. I I thought it was really um, this moment of really explicit self-awareness by Scorsese mm-hmm. um, to show that what we're doing here is this sort of voyeuristic fetishization of the systematic murder of uh, people based on their um, wealth, but more importantly, based on um their race and i think by putting that at the end of the film showing it to the audience that not only is this like happening in now in vivo um hmm. that's not the word that's the word What's I'm gonna use. what does that mean in in life um isn't vivo like the thing they put after all the official um youtube channels that like have the different Sing- no, that's the Singers. like music that no Vivo V I V O. Anyway, that's not important. Um, I'm like in Vivo as an as opposed to in Vivo, but like um. Anyway, I can't help you. You're going down um, a path I cannot follow. Um, what we're showing at the very end is is it's not just like it's a radio play in a booth. It's a radio play on a stage, and it's a spectacle, yeah. and it's this. It's not just a spectacle, but it's this complete um, narrativization and this complete, um, comp- uh, like, whitewash of the story. And I think that's a really important thing to say, especially given the fact that this is a movie about um, First Nations people. But directed by a white guy. It also focuses on white people. And focuses on white people. But no, I really, I thought it's definitely jarring. um, But I think it works in really focusing in on uh, that level of self awareness that I think the movie needed to be able to like justify itself. And I am going to talk about this later. I'm not just going to say I'm going to talk about it later and talk about not talk about it. But um, we do that often. <laughs> there's we um, say we're going to mention something later. We just never bring it up again. Um, I think it's it's important that it brings us like self awareness to this idea that um, 
this is a white guy telling a story of First Nations people. And then obviously the next big question, the runtime, worth it? I actually didn't mind it. It is a long film. But it, I mean, no one, no one's saying it's not. <laughs> it, it, the, the, this is a three and a half hour film. It. Oh, uh, actually, it's more closer to three point three three reoccurring. Uh, anyway, um, actually, no, it's closer to three point five because it's like twenty six minutes, which is closer um, to thirty than it is to twenty. Sorry, please continue. <laughs> it doesn't really feel like it drags too much, which is really quite for you. It did. It didn't. I didn't find it to drag. For you. <laughs> there were definitely parts that I I felt like if I wanted to go tighter, you could get rid of some scenes. Mm. But as so a that whole, wasn't the point of the film. There was not. It wasn't trying to go tighter. It was mm. obviously not. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I don't feel like there was any points really where I went. Hmm. Uh, this is something to drag for me any more than I would in a two or two and a half hour film. Mm. Um, and I think the, the, it, the quality of the, of the craftsmanship of this film is really allows, it really allows for that, um, extended viewing time. Um, mm. despite the fact I still like, despite all that, I think a three and a half hour, hour film still requires an intermission like oh it's so bullshit there's no intermission there needs to be one embedded into it i i think it justifies a three and a half hour runtime i still think it should have an intermission i just want to check something really quick hold on so gg bang bang's like an hour shorter and it has an intermission like come on Give, give, give me an intermission. More movies that like hit the two and a half hour mark should probably have an intermission. Honestly, mm. like that's you, you go at a, like an hour, hour fifteen. Give us a break. Let's just stretch our legs, grab another drink, relieve the bladder from the first drink, that type of thing. Then we can come back refreshed, watch the rest of the film. Like I get, obviously, I get the real reason why, and it's because you can't. If you do that, you're adding in time to the runtime, and the longer something is, the less showings you can do of it in a day. So obviously it's actually not corporate wise actually a good thing to have that. But fuck corporate, give me a break. <laughs> I mean, like on the other hand, it gives you another opportunity to be able to sell um the things that you make the most oh, money. Which on. would actually be like the big seller as well, because they get more money from the snack bar than they do actually selling your quite correct. Tickets. Corporate, um, listen to us. <laughs> Do more intermissions. We will buy more. Things. We will buy. so many. We, so many we're going to run to the store if it's too if it's too short a time. We're going to go to the closest place because obviously beforehand you have if you get there early enough, which most people do, you have enough time to buy from any place. During an intermission, if it's five to ten minutes, most people aren't going to worry about going to fucking Woolworths. They're going to go to the snack bar because they don't want to miss anything. It's oh, it's genius. What genius? Um, anyway, yeah. There were so many people in the cinema I was in that, myself included, who like had bought like a whole like feast into the movie because like it's sort of like you know it's going to be what long. You, what did you bring? Um, well, we went to um, the um, Pentridge. I went to Pentridge too. Um, Not at the same time. We so no. disclosure: we didn't go together. 
Um, just we couldn't do it this time, unfortunately. There is a little like funky IGA. Like some IGAs are funky and some are not. I think this IGA is funky. It's pretty funky. I think it's funky IGA. I can't remember what its name is. Uh, it's Richie's. That's right, Richie's. Um, IGA and- for those who don't know. Not in Australia, it stands for Independent Grocery. Shit, what's the A? Association? Australia? Is it? One know. of those. Um, basically, it's the third or the fourth on the tier of supermarkets we have because we have got Coles and Woolies, which kind of battle it out for number one. Uh, and then you have Aldi, which is like they kind of do their own thing, so you can't really even rank them because they're kind of like their own little thing. And then still fourth, though, even though I've mentioned that it's on two places, is IGA. <laughs> There's somehow um, two rungs below the top, like anything above them. <laughs> um, anyway, we got a whole bunch of snacks from there. Um, we, I don't know, I can't even remember what we got. Um, Just snack. Okay, I thought, the way you said it made it sound like you kind of had a Well, I had roll. like a pizza roll. Um, you know, like, you I was know, like, I haven't had lunch. I gotta you know what I took in? Fun? Do you, want to, do you want to know what I took what'd in? You, what'd you take in? Nothing. I raw yeah. dogged this film. That's so impressive. Like that, I mean, I don't even know if that's impressive. I mean, like, I raw dogged this film. I raw dogged this film. Eight fifteen p.m. at night. Hadn't eaten dinner yet. Oh, raw no. dogged it with no food, no drink. I walked in and I was like, I think I'm a little bit thirsty. Got to the end of the film, dehydrated as fuck. <laughs> Like, dying yeah. from thirst. Like I hadn't had lunch. I hadn't like, had lunch. We were going to like, like a six o'clock or six thirty session, I think. And like a six thirty session of a movie, right? You're going like, oh, we'll say it's a two hour movie. That's eight thirty. I'll be home by like eight forty five, right? That's dinner time. No, no, no. Six thirty movie. If this is a six thirty movie, the movie finishes at ten. Oh wait. You've forgotten about ads. And you know how many ads they were in? They were in half an hour of ads. Really? For you, it was 20 minutes for us. That's insane, actually. They ran half an hour of ads. That's crazy. Um, And everyone, this was, okay, so I I know we're not talking about the film, but I just really want to get I actually want to talk about my film experience anyway, because I think it's actually important to the film. Um, You do yours first. We we got there. uh, Yeah, I think it was like a 6.30 session. And we Mm -hmm. got there, I think. 628 and we walked into the cinema mm-hmm. and we were like we we're sort of expecting no one else to be there because you know like who it's full, who, it's full right it, it was packed mine it was, was packed. two and like nothing on the screen what no day was playing um it was sunday evening okay because mine was saturday evening or saturday night so Clearly, this film's doing well. Is what I'm really trying to say. Is what like like, but yeah. Please continue. Sorry. But it was just like it was so strange because we walked in and the movie hasn't started yet. The ads haven't started yet. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the lights are up. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see everyone and all the snacks that they've brought in. It's hilarious I, because there is I, a sign as you walk into pantries that says "Do not bring in snacks." Um, yeah, but no one, no one follows that. No, no one cares. The, 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 the employees aren't going to stop you. I don't even they think don't we care. got our tickets checked. Um, I never get my chicken <laughs> tickets checked. I just walk. There's never someone there to check. I just walk by every single time. I have my phone out. Corporate, like, corporate, I stop pre- listening. Stop listening. I, corporate. I pretend to look around to see if there's someone there, and then I'm like, oh, guess there isn't, and then I find my way. So now I know my way around the pantry. So I don't need, they don't need to point where it is. I know where everything is now. I know one to five is in one direction. No, one to four is in one direction, and then five to fifteen is the other direction. And then we're fine. There's also a sign on the wall. Oh yeah, that's my point. 
because I can just direct um, myself. But yeah, we, we walked in. It's like nothing's happening. You see all these people and the cinema's packed. And we're like, when we booked the tickets, there were maybe, I don't know, six seats taken. And oh, okay. like, yeah. they're like, oh yeah, we'll get this one because it's like near the like middle and it'll be a good mm. spot. And there was no one next to us. And it's like, okay, cool. And like, we sat down and then immediately like someone comes and sits next to us. And I'm like, well, this is so weird oh, because nothing's happening. The cinema's packed and nothing's on. Like the ads haven't started. I, 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 again, like, I know sometimes you will go see a movie and the cinema will be full over the period of time that which the ads roll, right? I think yeah, the only time, the only goes. time I've ever been to a movie where it was packed before ads roll, ads rolled was a midnight screening of Spider Man. Um, like No Way Home. No Way Home. Yeah. Um, was that opening night? It was opening night, midnight screening. Yeah. And that's yeah. like an event. That's an event screening. Like that's not, that's not like an everyday yeah. Sunday afternoon screening. Yeah. They don't often run them at 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> no. Um, and it was just so, so very strange. Can I talk? I'm going to talk about my, okay. my cinema experience. So my cinema experience was pretty funny. So I rocked up, you know, well, not, not early, but like at, on time, same as you, people were pretty full. I don't think maybe as full as yours, but like pretty full, like not empty at all. Uh, I sat kind of to the leftish, uh, cause it was actually pretty full by the time I booked, cause I booked on the same day. So by that point, I don't know. Um, people were had booked already. I walk in, sit down, people sit next to me, three people sit next to me. There's four seats in the little section I'm sitting in. So that whole section is thing. I'm on the far right on the aisle. Club on the left. An hour passes into this film. I'm checking my phone a little bit as well. So I, I actually, I was checking more just to understand what points the film were happening. I wasn't so much checking because I hated the film. It was just because I was like, I'm wondering how much time has passed. Like, you know, for the, for the podcast, really, basically, I wanted to like kind of have a good idea where certain part, hour marks hit. Um, unfortunately, I forgot to write it down. Now I've forgotten. Uh, but uh, an hour passes into this film. I'm sure you're aware of how loud the reclining chairs at Pentridge are. Yep. Cinemas, it's full. Sorry, sorry. Sound. Wait. Are you trying to remake it? I'm trying to just like get that like good leather squeak. It's like a, a, a mechanical whir and leather rubbing against leather at the same time. So it's loud. You hear like a like it's both. So it's very loud. It's piercing. Everyone can hear. The cinema is full of it. People are getting up. People are getting sitting back down. People are leaving the cinema. It's nuts. About another 30 minutes or so, they're snoring two, two seats over from me. Uh, the guy who's sitting next to my left, two seats over. About a minute after he starts snoring, his wife wakes up and he goes, <laughs> like a really loud one. By the way, he will start snoring again at another point in this film. Uh, about two hours in, more people are getting up, more people are getting back down. Um, another person has started snoring far away from me, but loud enough for the whole cinema to hear. <laughs> they are woken up by someone. I believe maybe probably someone with them, but I don't know for sure. So I wasn't anywhere near them. Two and a half hours, the guy who was sitting next to me, or like two seats from me, has gone back to snoring. But also, someone's talking in their sleep in the middle of the theater. 
and they are saying some weird shit. Just not like not like 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 spooky. Like oh, that's spooky. Just, just nothing. It's gibberish. It's like quite incomprehensible. Fun. Like incomprehensible. Just incom- exactly incomprehensible gibberish. And then about three hours, people finally settled in, and the rest of the review was like watching that like the last half hour, and the last half hour was pretty quiet. And I think people were like, "All right, we know this is the last run. We can we can stay settled and all that." Uh, insane film, insane experience. Um, walked out of it. <laughs> I walking out of the film, I got three different types of opinions on the movie. One of them was that it was just a horrible film. The other one, and when I'm saying I've got opinions, it's just one of because I went by myself. I was hearing it from just different groups as I walked out. Yeah. So one was, one was the group hated it. One group loved it. One group liked it, but uh, they thought it was too long. And then a fourth person was asking their group to explain the film to them because they had fallen asleep. <laughs> so... I think this movie's a bit like polarizing <laughs> is the word I would use. Well, it's either I, it's either really good or you fall asleep. Exactly. Basically. For me, it's in the middle somewhere actually for me, which is odd because we just said polarizing and you have to be one on the other, but it's not. I feel for the first hour I was really worried. Because I was really bored for the first hour. And I was really worried this was gonna be the rest of the film. And then it got better. After the, pretty much as soon as I checked my phone and saw it was like an hour in, the film immediately started to get more interesting and got better. And I think it's pretty much after he marries Lily Gladstone, the movie becomes way more interesting and way more just like I'm more invested. But there were still points where I was like, oh, I'm I'm chugging along here, Marty. Marty, I love you, and I'm going to watch this whole film for you, and I'm not falling asleep, Marty. I promise you that I was quite tired as well, by the way, having not eaten anything that day. I uh, had 8 p.m. I have bad eating habits, by the way, so this is not like unusual, but usually I'm not this bad. Uh, but I haven't eaten by 8 p.m. or well, 8 f- f- 15. I, uh, I, I'm in, you know, in this three and a half hour long film, I don't sleep well usually i think that night i i like the night before i'd gone to sleep maybe at 4 a.m or something like it was bad it was just a bad setup but i was wide awake i was like we're, we're watching this film and I, my eyes were drooping at one point i was like no mitchell for marty and that kept me awake the chant for marty in my head i did it for marty and i'd do it again for marty because marty i'll see everything you do and i won't sleep through anything you do but fuck marty cut some shit out of this fucking film marty <laughs> All right, it does not need to be three and a half hours long. I understand that you had a lot to say, and I'm really glad you did, but this was a two and a half hour long film masquerading as three hours and a half hours. It did not need to be this long. I like it. I think it's good. I think it's indulgent. And I think he's 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 huffing his own paint. His own farts, sorry. He's huffing his own farts, in my opinion. He's... He's really buying into the legend of Martin Scorsese. Mm. And he's really like, yeah, I'm going to make this three and a half hour long film and everyone's going to love it. They're going to love me because I'm Martin Scorsese. It just wasn't, it wasn't it. But it was good and I did like it. But yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think like, 
I didn't mind the runtime. And I, I, I like, I think there were bits that you could cut out. Um, yes. But I think it does enough to keep you interested in every character that gets introduced. It doesn't overwhelm you with the number of characters, but it doesn't, it also doesn't, um, sort of like stagnate on any for two. I do actually think that's a benefit of the length of the runtime, as you're saying, like the way that it doesn't overwhelm you, because there is a lot of characters in this movie, but they're given, since the runtime is so long, you're given a long time to mellow in their introduction and like let yourself be aware of them as an entity. And even so, in a, such a way that when they come back later, you're like, oh, I remember you because you've been yeah. on screen for a bunch of time. You weren't there for like two seconds and they disappeared. So that is actually something I think works well with the runtime. But I still believe that it, it's, it's yeah. But yeah. Um, no, my biggest, um, I, I don't know if it's a criticism or rather like a, thought on the film was um, largely informed by uh, I did I get did I send this to you or did I get um, Mr. Manager to send it to you um, which, which is, is, is the one um, about um, Leonardo DiCaprio wearing pads on his bum no not the one about Leonardo DiCaprio wearing pads on his bum oh. um, the so obviously this film was made in conjunction with a lot of um different like cultural consultants and language consultants and things like that. Um, and one of the key language consultants um, who I do not remember the name of um, did an interview um, on one of the premieres um, for the film. And mm. it's a really interesting interview. It's pretty short. You can probably look it up online. Um, you sent this to me. Pardon? I don't think you sent this to me. Oh, okay. Well, I'll send it to you later then. Um, but it's basically just drawing attention to the fact that this is, or this should be a story about, um, Osage people. And, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the movie revolves around Osage people and the lives of Osage people and the tragedies of, um, the, like the systematic murder of these people. Yeah. Um, but instead what we're given is, um, a story about a white guy or a family of white, white guys. Um, Specifically two white guys. Two white guys um, yeah. who interact who with this, yeah. who interact with this community and interact with this community in an explicitly harmful way. Um, mm. And um, instead of framing that as, so framing that from an Osage perspective and framing that from a um, perspective in which um Ernest is inherently malicious, um, mm. which uh, I would argue he is. He he literally commits murder for the sake of a lot of money and a lot of women. He um, loves money and women. Can we fault him? Yes. Um, yes but, um, and this is a point that the cultural consultant makes as well, is like that's not a movie that Scorsese could have made. Um, yeah because it's not a movie that anyone other than an Osage person could make um, because that's what the, that's who the story is about. And that's um, something that I think is 
we're getting better at as like a global film industry about showcasing um like first nations talent and stories and things and i know in australia a lot of the australian film industry um or contemporary australian film industry is based around um or um relies heavily on um first nations people and first Nations story yeah. stories um and it's yeah one of those things where if this had been told by um no such person in framed in a different way i think we'd get a slightly different story but for what it is trying to do which is tell the story from a white perspective and give a character who is like a bad person again and th- this is what i was referring to before when we were talking about um uh there will be blood there will be blood um is the character who we're following around is a really awful person but yeah. the the movie lets us be sympathetic the story lets us be sympathetic um towards him and I think for that story, for this particular story and the framing that we're going to give it um, in terms of this sort of definitely white perspective um, and a perspective that's sympathetic to um, the plight of this character, I think it is um, probably the best way this movie could have been made. I think the execution on this This version version of this story yeah is is very good and of very high quality and it's something where you like i don't feel like i can fault it on things like performance or um cinematography or editing like no technical elements like there's yeah there's no technical elements that are at fault the story itself is not like it is a good story the my major criticism of this film is really just it's a film that seems strange for Martin Scorsese to have done, but he's done it, and I think it's the like best version of that version of the story. I understand best, best version from white filmmaker you could have gotten. Yeah, or or, or some, not even a white filmmaker, a filmmaker outside of the Osage community. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And, um, I think, yeah, that, that's both saying that like, yes, this is a good film, but it's, a it's f- a film that I think is important to keep that in mind yeah. when watching it. Um, which is, uh, I, again, why I think the ending is really effective. It, yeah. it, it um, sort of highlight or allows you to, think about that more explicitly because that's what it's um, showing you more explicitly. Well, I think the fact that Scorsese himself is basically the last person you see on screen, he is, it is him, right? Cause the, the obituary is the last thing you see, right? The last thing you see is the, the like um, dancing. Okay. So, but the last person to talk is, is Scorsese, right? Mm. Yeah. Sorry. You're quite correct. It is the dancing and like the flower pattern and, Call that I forgot, but sorry. The last thing that's said and and like to to the audience is by Scorsese, and it's the obituary of Molly. I mean, I don't know if she went by Burkhardt at that point in time, but it's the um, Lily Gladstone's character. And I think the fact that he says it 
and he's obviously it ensures the passion he had to watch this story I, I believe and obviously I totally agree with everything you've said I I believe this is possibly the best you can get out of a version not made by someone who was who's actually from that community and I think the level of sincerity that Monsko says he brought to this it it definitely makes it feel he was definitely wanting to tell a story about the plight of these people and how horrible these events were and I was I, this isn't something that I thought up myself I was reading this somewhere and I, I don't know if I agree with it or not but I I want to just kind of mention it for for the for, for food for thought type thing. Someone was talking about how Mansko says he used the white perspective in that the, the way that the movie is framed completely around a, a white person as a way to make sure that the audience could never affiliate themselves with the Osage people so that they can never be, think of themselves as they can never affiliate themselves with the victims because they're not the victims. The victims weren't them. And so you're never allowed to really um, distance yourself from the uh, criminals in the film. Yeah. Especially I mean, as a white person. It's, 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 it, it, yeah. Like to that like point, like even the title reflects this, it's killer, it's killers of the flower moon. It's it's yeah. about the the perpetrators the of crime, not the yeah, not the victims. Which I think that's interesting. And I don't know what that does to your reading of the film or anyone else's reading of the film. And I don't know if I even agree with it, but I do think it's an interesting point mm. that that's what Scorsese may have quite possibly did. And I, I think at some, in some way I would agree. I was, you know, obviously, you know, it, it, I'm the white, the white people I watched on screen were horrible and rightfully so because they did horrible things and I would never want to say oh I'm, I'm like the Native American person no I'm not I, I you know the, the people I'm associated I'm, I'm genetically related to were not treated like that they were the the aggressor not the victim so I think yeah but it's just it's really long and I think that level of inaccessibility will mean a story like this won't reach people who aren't determined to watch it. And if anything, that's a that's to the film's detriment because that means Martin's Martin M Dog Millionaire. I for, sorry, I forgot my friends. Um, it means Scorsese's uh, message will not reach many people's ears. It won't reach the ears of uh, anyone who saw that he once called a Marvel film a roller coaster and said, fuck you, Scorsese. Like, you know, it's it's not it's it's gonna miss a whole demographic of people who probably should hear this story. I mean I think a lot of people should hear this story. I think it's a very important message mm. to tell, especially since it's it's really taken a long time to have these types of stories told. And, and- I mean, uh, I mean, especially it, given it's it's very rare for um first nation stories to be told in hollywood blockbusters exactly um yeah. there's i like when we were brainstorming movies uh to pair this with because we knew this was coming up we knew we wanted to do this we were s- sitting there thinking like can we pair this with another um 
First Nations story. About yeah. First Nations people or filmed by First Nations people. Virgo um, Hauntus was written down for a really long time and we were like, unhappy with it. <laughs> because like, like is is that the best um example of well obviously it's not the best example of, of First Nations representation in um film. It's pretty yeah, no. uh, pretty atrocious actually, but um the like fact of the matter is is it, it's so um hard to think of um films with this as a subject matter or these as the characters um because it's there's such just a no, yeah there's, genre, there's genre. no yeah. like interaction with it and there's no really like any support from hollywood to allow for these stories to be told and yeah despite it being from a white perspective and despite it being like inherently therefore for a white audience, I, I think it is still uh, something that is important to be able to show like, yes, this is, these are the kind of stories that we want to see more of. We want to see more um, stories about first nations people. And we want to see more stories by first nations people. Exactly. Um, um in terms of accessibility, I just wanted to touch on that as well. Yes. Um, in terms of the future of this film, so um, you may I was going be aware. To Apple, right? Yes, it is. So, Sorry, I um, didn't mean to. I didn't mean to cut off your point, but yeah. <laughs> um, so Scorsese's last film, I believe, The Irishman, yeah. um, went straight to Apple TV Plus. Um, Netflix. Netflickers. Net, was it Netflix? Irishman's Netflickers, my guy. Was, was was it okay? Well, it definitely was. Yeah. Ignore that bit of what I was talking about. But still, a streaming service. Um, what is interesting about this is that um, so Apple TV Plus is a very interesting streaming service uh, at the moment because unlike um every other major streaming service, it has almost no legacy content. Um. Mm. And by that I mean, for- yeah. Sorry, I think there's. Um, I didn't realize you were going to explain it. Sorry. <laughs> the 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 content that hasn't been explicitly made for Apple TV Plus, I think, uh, is like Fraggle Rock. What? Do you know Fraggle Rock? It's is like that, a Muppet spin-off thing. Isn't it the stuff that um, that's used in the Lego Movie, but it's like super glue? The, uh, no, that's Fraggle. My bad. Because it's like crazy glue. Um, oh, true. Super doesn't start with okay. Koopa, Koopa, Koopa glue. But yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm struggling, to, I'm struggling to find. I'm, I'm sure no, 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 there's, no, no, no. A, very, there's a very short list of um, non, no, like, yeah, of, uh, non-original Apple. content um, mm-hmm. for like... Again, I, I don't have Apple TV Plus, and, but for, and from what I've heard, a lot of the content that is made for Apple TV Plus is quite good. It is um, pretty good. But there's absolutely no legacy content. There's no. That is pretty sick. There's no. Um, there's not a lot of stuff that is not made specifically for it. And as a result, it's got a reasonably um, small audience. Um, Oh, it's, you can say barren library. That's funny. Well, well, it's that that too, but um, it's it's definitely got a much lower like um catchment than yeah um the other big streaming services um 
obviously Netflix, um, Max in the States. Um, we have Stan here. I think it's probably Stan and Binge of the closest equivalents. Um, Binge would be our Max equivalent because it has the HBO stuff, but only yeah, some of it, um, not all of it. And Disney Plus and Hulu and things yeah. like that. Um, we don't have Hulu. We don't have Hulu. We have into Disney Plus. What well, stars also in Disney Plus as well? Um, yeah. Um, which actually, I think that's a bonus for us because I think in the states they have like it individually, which sucks for them. But for us, it's all in one place. That's pretty cool. Um, but place. yeah, what it means is that it it is definitely a film like given its length, it's the kind of film that would almost benefit from being able to like watch a bit, pause, and go away and. Yeah like have dinner or whatever and come back and um, be able to do that like in your own home. But the fact that it's going exclusively to Apple TV plus is going to make that really inaccessible um, to most people because most people don't have Apple TV plus because it's just not a streaming service that um, is worth it at the moment. And um I think that's going to be, yeah, another sort of issue with its accessibility in the in the coming, uh, in the approaching future. I mean, like, at least it's having like it seems to be having a decent, like a, a normal cinema run, uh, theater run, unlike The Irishman, which because Netflix doesn't do appropriate, appropriate or proper um, theater runs, it only does enough to qualify certain films it wants to as. Uh, Oscar films and then it's basically like all right we're done we can just throw it straight on to what's this whatever um yeah no because this was in conjunction between Paramount and Apple TV yeah because I I saw the Paramount logo and I went I thought this was going to go on Apple Plus so now oh fuck uh Apple yeah all right I was out right Apple TV Plus but does it mean it's going to go on Paramount Plus as well or I, I don't know I don't know what it's doing in Australia. Um, or, or anything, really. Go um, I, have, I have a feeling it will be uh, due to funding um, and who has money to spend on this movie. Apparently it costs $200 million. Um, the movie that costs $200 million. It costs $200 million. And, and uh, it is the box office is not that. Um, it, yeah. Mm. Not yet. You could like they don't make two hundred million dollars in the first weekend. No, I I am aware, but I I think it will. I mean, it will probably do quite well. The other thing that's interesting is it's it might it's, not. Up, it's up on the same weekend as the Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie, yeah. which is absolutely thrashing all of the other competition at the box office at the moment. Eras of the Flower Moon. Like 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 Bob and Heimel. I New saw Bob and Heimel, I, I saw a um uh article um earlier this week. So talking obviously, um I think it was either, I think it was opening weekend. Okay, yeah, second weekend. Um, where um at that point, Killers had made I think twenty six million, mm. and um the eras to a film had already surpassed like 70 or something um and that would have cost nothing to make as well because it's just in a concert it's yeah anyway we'll talk about that another time 
Well, I just wanted to quickly say that I think uh, we've kind of missed, I think the film's actually pretty funny as well. We haven't really talked about that. There are certain points. Uh, did you not find this? I mean, what, what are you referring to specifically? Well, I think the one that I think the most, uh, the, it's the one I remember right now, but there are other points I found funny as well. Is the one where the guy goes to a lawyer about his, the children that he's maybe going to adopt and the lawyer, and he's like, if I were to adopt them and then they were to die, would their inheritance go to me? And oh, the goes, no, yeah. Are you, I don't, I'm worried that what you're telling me is that you're going to adopt these children and then kill them. No, not if you say that doesn't, that's not how it works. Um, yeah, there's almost like this level of like dry humor to it. Um, yeah. that, that, that scene is like in the courtroom the at the end, end yeah. the back end of the film. Um, there's but yeah, other there's, stuff throughout there's, that's there's, funny there too. There are though. other moments. There's, um, Moments that probably aren't meant to be super funny that are. Um, no, I reckon like, Scorsese, Scorsese has a sense of humor, so I reckon not, they're probably. I know, but like the Robert De Niro smacking Leonardo DiCaprio. No, I reckon that's meant to be stupid because it's like it's like look how stupid Masonic shit is. Like I reckon it's meant to be funny. Also, by the way, that um, that unlocked something inside me. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I haven't made the same since. I don't smack, know if I ever will get be. Get smacked in the paddle. Only if Robert De Niro does it. I'll wear pads just like Leonardo. I was wondering how they did that scene because I was because there's a full side on like a like a silhouette shot and you can just see like the whole the whole smack. And I was wondering how they did that without Leonardo to cover just taking it. I was like, you know what, Leonardo would just take it. He, he yeah, just, he's done he, worse things for the sake of cinema. The bear. <laughs> Or whatever he did for the Revenant. It's like, yeah. He ate some raw. He got hypothermia by being in an actual freezing river. He would. He would take a paddling from he would, the he would take, Exactly. Like a champ. Like a champ. Now he's already got his Oscar, so he wouldn't. He doesn't, he doesn't need. Anymore. Yeah, he doesn't need to kill himself anymore. He was going to kill himself eventually to get that Oscar. Like not yeah. deliberately, but he would be like he'd, he'd do like the Birdman thing where he shoots himself at the end of the play to like yeah. get a good review. Yeah. But it's a film. This bit's gone off the end now. Uh, all right, my we just want to do ratings now. Yeah, sure. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so I'm giving this this movie three different opinions of the film as I walked out of the theater, and someone asking what happened because they were asleep. Um, I gave Kills of the Flower Moon three booty smacks and a pat out of five. Oh, cute little booty pat. Yeah, like a uh, like three smacks and then like kind of like an aftercare thing. Like a there you go, yeah. nice beauty, like a little gentle yeah. Yeah. rubbing. What do you think of Brendan Fraser and Joseph Lithgow? Like I don't think we like I, I liked them. I I just found it really jarring, honestly. It was really weird to keep like two pretty famous actors to the very end like that. Yeah, it was just it was very strange, especially considering like um the last thing or the most recent thing I've seen with um. Brendan Fraser and it was the whale and yeah, the whale that was here. really like the, because that was his sort of return to um, cinema as well. It's very hard yeah. for me to like, um, not see him as that, like not see him as like that, but then also go, that's Brendan Fraser. And Brendan Fraser is the same Brendan Fraser as in like old Brendan Fraser and, he does look like, very different. He, He's got a very different build now. Like, I really, really enjoy him, and I think he does a really, really good job. 
it's it was mostly just startling to be honest like it was like oh well, he is oh. just shouting immediately upon the camera being turned to him because he's like he's like the lawyer and he's like this mm. man, i haven't had a chance to talk to my client and we're all like because I, I, I was sitting there i was sitting there and i like flicked the like it's on him for like just a second i'm like is that Brent? That looked like Brendan Fraser. No, surely it's not Brendan Fraser. Yeah, and then it cuts to back <laughs> to the it cuts back to the like witness, um, and then it cu- uh, cuts back to Ernest, and it cuts back to him, and I'm like, no, that is Brendan Fraser. And it was just shouting to you, just, <laughs> you know? yeah. It was just the strangest thing. Yeah. Cheerio, blockheads! This has been the Blockbuster Podcast. I've been your your scandalous host, Mitch. Scandalous. Mm. I'm, I've been Max. Yeah, nice character. You can send us uh, questions, reviews, and more to hate mail on the phonograph, but also at bondbuzzedpotty at gmail.com. That's, that's, that's buddy. It's about P-R-E-D-I-E. This character is exhausting. You can also find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at username BBPotty. This week, I'm asking you to dig. Dig, baby, dig. Find that oil. Bring it up to me to pay for it all. I'll take all your oil and rub Wait, it what are we? Out. What are we paying for? Oil. We're taking Wait. oil, baby. Yes, I we're, we're using oil. oil to pay for the oil. No, I'm, I'm just being a... I'm being a capitalist. <laughs> <laughs>